This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to another episode of You're In Good Company, a podcast for like-minded people who want to make smart investment decisions. I'm Maddie and I'm here with my good friend Sophie. Hi Maddie. I am really looking forward to the chat that we have planned today, but before we start today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. Today, we're really excited to be chatting to Tash Etchman, otherwise known by her Instagram as Tash Invests. Tash is on a mission to make financial conversations less taboo and is doing a fantastic job at it. She believes that personal finance and investing don't have to be scary topics and that financial freedmen can be achieved without sacrificing the things you love. Perhaps most importantly, Tash advocates that you don't need to work in finance to be good with your money. Tash, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be here. We are so happy to have you. We feel possibly a little bit starstruck because we have been following you for a little while, but no, we're super pumped to have you on. Tash, we start every episode with the same couple of questions. So can you please tell us who or what influenced you to first invest? Oh, it's pretty hard. I think initially it was just my dad because my parents have always been really good with money and I've always like aimed to be like them and always looked up to them. So I'm going to say my dad. Yeah, I feel like that's a very common answer. (laughs) I was influenced a little bit by by my dad as well. can relate to you there. And then the second question is, what was your biggest fear when you started out investing? Losing money. When I first started, I had no idea what I was doing and no idea how the stock market really worked. And you hear all like the fearful news and everyone being like, oh, I lost all my money. So I was like, great, I'm going to buy the wrong thing lose all my money and that will be it. But I found out that's actually kind of hard to do if you're buying what I buy, I guess. Yes, that is a great, great call. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about that later because that's something that we have talked about a lot. But for our final sort of quick fire question, Tash, if you were a stock, who would you be and why? This is so hard. I think I like, I read that and I was like, oh God, what am I going to say? But I think probably like VDHG because I can't, like I'm, I'm all over the place as a person and I can't pick one thing that I enjoy doing. So I like a bit of everything. And also I'm like super chilled as a person as well. And like VDHG is a very chill stock, I guess, if that makes any sense. Can you explain what VDHG is? Um, it's the Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund. So it's like seven funds in one. So it's actually like, the, I don't want to say the easiest thing, but it's such an easy buy because you buy it, it rebalances for you and your own like companies all over the world in one trade. So it's all over the place. It's really cool. And I guess that's what I am. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> all over <laughs> the that. place and really cool. <laughs> that's actually a great definition for yourself. <laughs> and Tash, one of the reasons that we were really keen to chat with you today is because we think that you're such an awesome example. And I guess someone that we can all really look up to about what is possible. So if anyone knows you from Instagram, they might have a bit of an inkling about what I'm talking about. But before we get into that, 
I know that you, or I understand that you don't work in finance or anything like that. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what you do for sort of your day job or study? Mm-hmm. So I study occupational therapy and I work as a support worker in a group home for people with autism. So, so far removed from finance, um, but it's heaps of fun and I love it. So you must have a pretty busy schedule then. It sounds like you're doing a lot. Yeah, I, li- I like being busy. I'm like scared of free time. No, but my job's really cool. <laughs> I, um, I get nine days off every three weeks as part of, because we do live-in shifts. So I get nine days off every three weeks, which kind of gives me time to do Instagram stuff and other life things that I want to do. And my job's so flexible and gives me all the leave I want for prac. So it's worked out really well. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, because I was going to ask, how do you fit in investing when you have so much on? But obviously, it's very doable. Well, investing is easy now. Like, I've already learned how to do it. So, it's all automated, set up. I don't even, like, pay that much attention to it. So, it's really easy now, the investing side anyway. You are just saying all the right things. I love it. This is exactly what we're wanting to help people sort of come to realize. So, yeah, that's great to hear. So you're pretty open about uh, how much you earn and your investing goals and your net worth on your Instagram. Can you tell us a bit about why you are very open with this? Yeah. So my family's always been really open with money and I've always known like their mortgages, how much they earn, what their goals are in life in terms of money. And I realized pretty early on that other people didn't work that open about money and other people's families didn't discuss it the same way that my family did. And like money is such a big part of life. Like everyone has it, everyone spends it, everyone needs it. And I just like personally don't see why it's so taboo. So I was always the person being like, oh, what do you earn? Or like, what are your savings goals? And I would always tell people what I'd saved and like how I was affording things. Um, So that kind of just came with the Instagram thing. I was like, oh, like no, people don't know what I know. I might as well share it. And I find if you're sharing information without the context, it's really confusing to other people. So initially when I was talking about being a full-time uni student, people were like, oh, you must only earn like a few thousand dollars. And it was actually like, no, I work full-time. I earn 70K a year. You kind of need that context so people understand where you're coming from. Other people just, otherwise people just compare themselves and it doesn't make sense. So you said, was it 70K a year that you're earning at the moment? Yeah. So 71,000, which is like quite good for a support worker. Yeah. 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 And then I know that sometimes you talk on your Instagram about your net worth as well. Can you share that for those listening? Yeah. I think it's sitting around 170K when I worked it out at the start of the month, which is super exciting. (laughs) Yeah. But people always see that number and they don't see all the other numbers that go into it as well. So I think sharing like a full picture is so important. Yeah. I think that's really great. So we'll just to go back to the beginning a little bit. In your experience, do you think that you need a lot of money to sort of start investing? No, definitely not. There's all these cool platforms like Spaceship and Raise where you literally need $5 to start investing. Um, But in saying that, obviously, you need an emergency fund and you need to make sure you don't have consumer debt. But if you've got surplus income, you can start with $5. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we're so lucky with today. In the past, you know, broker, you know, the fees that you paid to buy and sell shares were really high and it made investing or the barriers to investing much higher. But we're so lucky now in that there are all these platforms, like you said, that know, it makes trading really cheap and it means that you don't have to have, you know, huge amounts of money to get into the markets, which is awesome. Yeah, definitely. Did you start on platforms like Raisin Spaceship and do micro investing and then get comfortable with that and move into investing in stock shares ETFs? Is that how you kind of- my first investment, because my dad obviously didn't know about micro-investing platforms and he was kind of my first entry into the market. So I bought four units of IVV, which is an S&P 500 index on the ANZ trading platform, which isn't the cheapest. It's not the best, but that's where I started. And then I was very scared and I didn't know what I was doing. So I kind of just left it and let it sit there. And then I saved my apartment and kind of played around with micro-investing platforms. So like my first investment was like a regular 
um, ETF on like the proper, I don't want to say proper, on like an actual brokerage. But then Raise and Spaceship was what helped me got really confident and like helped build my confidence to invest regularly and to invest more money. Right. I think that's definitely a common tale as well, just getting a bit more comfortable with it. Starting with a small amount, you can start, I mean, these days you can literally start with like, what is it, $500 or even less? I'm not even sure. Yeah. Raise and Spaceship. Well, Spaceship's free under 5K, so you can literally put $5 in and see what happens. Great. Yeah. It means I guess anyone can really start with any kind of money. But you also kind of touched on the fact that uh, you need to keep a bit of cash on the side. And usually we t- when we talk about that, it's because of our short-term, short-term goals versus our long-term goals. What are your, what does short-term goals versus long-term goals mean to you? And do you have like certain timeframes that you follow if you do have short-term goals? Yeah. So I kind of see short term as in the next few months. And then I've got like medium term goals, I guess, which is in a few years. And then my long term goals are like seven, 10 years plus. Can you share some of maybe the short term or long term goals that you have at the minute? Yeah. So I'm going on prac at the end of April for eight weeks. So I won't be working for eight weeks. So one of my short term goals was to have $5,000 saved for that um, amount of time because I have an apartment as well. So I still have to pay my mortgage. So that was kind of my shorter term goals. My big long-term goal is I want to have a million dollars invested, which is super exciting. And I should hit that. I think it's at like 35, which is really exciting. Um, and then I've got lots of goals in between. Um, like I want to move over east at the end of the year. So I need a bit more money saved up for that. So obviously your goals are kind of changing when like as life goes on, they move around a bit. Uh-huh. I'm so, yeah, I change my mind about what I want to do like literally all the time. People always criticize my goals, but it's kind of like you don't set a goal and then never review it ever again. I literally change my mind every three few months about what I want to do with my life. But the one consistent one is the million dollars that I'm working towards. I guess a really sort of basic question that I wanted to clarify with you is when we talk about short-term goals and sort of keeping that money in cash, do we talk, when people talk about cash and throw that word around, is that does that mean sort of, you know, money that you've got on your brokerage platform that's not invested or is is cash just all the money that you have? Is it literally the physical cash? No, I don't. I hate physical cash because I lose things all the time. Um, When I say cash, I mean cash in like a high interest savings account. And I split that even more. So I always have $2,000 in my everyday accounts of direct debits and bills to come out of. And then I have a separate amount. I have quite a bit of cash because I like the freedom that comes with it. So I've got like $25,000 at the moment, just sitting in a high interest savings account. And that's like my emergency funds, my funds to do whatever I want. Um, my funds like not work, I guess, because I've got quite a bit of uni coming up this year. So that's all the 25,000. Plus I'll have like the money ready for my mortgage this week and my strata fees this week or whatever's coming up. Yeah. I think that's such a great example of sort of, you know, being in touch with and having a really great awareness of your life and your sort of situation at the moment and making sure that you're planning accordingly and setting the goals like we talked about, you know, you've got that money aside and I think the what you say about, you know, the emergency funds is a great one. I know Soph and I have spoken about this before, but I've sort of got, I think it's three months salary sitting in a bank account that, you know, I've, I've forgotten about that money. And that's for, for me, that's, you know, if COVID hits or something like that, and it just means that, you know, I don't have to. Please don't let COVID hit again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't jinx it. Oh, gosh. I said that so flippantly, didn't I? (laughs) If COVID happened to hit again, like, no. I've got money saved. But, yeah, you know, it's it's for those emergency situations where something happens that you don't foresee and it just means that you sort of have that buffer, which I think is really important. And it just sort of gives you a bit more confidence when you are investing as well. 
Yeah. Everyone always asks me what's like an ideal amount for like an emergency fund. And I think the general rule is three to six months, but I think it's really important to look at your own situation as well. Um, Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, why do you have so much money? And it's like, well, I want the freedom. I don't want to be locked in in one place and having to work and having to live off an emergency fund. I think it's important to have like an emergency fund plus savings for the other goals that you want to achieve in the next few years. Yeah. And I was going to say as well, touching on that point that everyone's um, situation is quite different. I think sometimes when people say like three to six months salary is an emergency fund, that can seem like a lot of money, especially people that are first going into their first full-time role or moving out of home and they're paying living expenses, et cetera. So yeah, touching on that point of just keeping it to your personal goals and what you can achieve at the time is really important. And then just building it up over time. Yeah. And like what you feel comfortable with as well. Cause what one person wants, like my $25,000 is huge for like kind of a buffer fund or whatever. And other people might want a lot less than that. And they won't need as much as that. Cause I guess other people aren't about to stop working for 16 weeks or whatever. So yeah, it's so personal and don't just like focus on one person's number. Cause they're all so different. All right. So Tash, one thing that you talk about on your website, and we really want to sort of delve into a little bit deeper, we've just touched on it then, is this concept that financial freedom can be achieved without sort of sacrificing the things that you love. So can you tell us a little bit more sort of specifically or delve a bit deeper into for you, how do you manage that? You know, do you have a specific budget that you follow? What does that sort of situation look like for you so that you can make sure that you do still have that fund? You know, we, we joke about having a fun fund. Mm. Um, initially I was really frugal and tracked everything that I spent and was very strict with what I spent, but I've kind of like with my goals and my values now, I just spend on things that align with who I want to be as a person. And I find that comes a lot more natural now. So I spend on the things I really want, but I'm really in tune with things that don't have value or things that I don't enjoy or things that aren't going to make me a better person. And I won't spend money on them. So like, for example, I'll spend so much money on traveling or like wakeboarding or going diving, but I won't spend heaps of money on a night out on drinks. And I find like that comes really natural now so it's easy for me to like spend money on the things that I really care about yeah well I feel like that's one of the things that people you know do need to start thinking about when they are budgeting or wanting to put money away for investing but sometimes those small things like not necessarily going out because being social that does add value to a lot of people's lives but just small things like going to the supermarket without a plan or ordering a lot of takeaway or making impulse Mm. purchases to give you that (laughs) dopamine hit really don't necessarily add so much value and they can take away a lot in terms of like monetary value (laughs) I think you're like tracking your spending because I think that helped a lot. I tracked everything I spent for like years and I find that was really powerful with understanding exactly where my money was going and now it like naturally comes to me and I naturally add it up in my head, I guess. But yeah, sitting down, tracking everything you spend and being like, what are my life goals? What are the things that actually bring joy to me and does my spending align with that? Because I feel like a lot of people aren't clear on what they want to do or what their goals are. So they're like, oh, it doesn't matter. I can just spend on this because I'll just like figure it out later. But if you become really clear on what adds value in your life, it's easy to sit down and be like, oh, this isn't this isn't adding value to my life. Yeah. For anyone that does want to be tracking their spending, if you've done it before, do you have any tips or recommendations? Were there any like certain apps or programs that you used to do that that helped you? Yeah. So I have like a free Google sheet. Um, You can find it on my Instagram. It's just like linked in my bio. I can't remember what it's called. And also I used WeMoney, which is a budgeting app. So I think like try either of those and see which one works because some people don't want to spend the time putting in every single little detail. Um, But yeah, like, like try a few different ways of tracking your spending and see what works best for you because what works best for one person doesn't work best for everyone. And it, you don't want to make it a chore either. Like I loved making graphs and analyzing it and doing percentage changes, but other people probably don't want that inside to their spending. So Tash, we discussed before sort of how we can break up our money or our goals into short-term and long-term goals. And I am wondering sort of on a more personal level, you touched on 
the fact that you really want to have a million dollars invested. Can you sort of elaborate on that goal a little bit now and, you know, maybe why that is or what you want to do with the a million dollars once you get to that point? Mm -hmm. So with a million dollars, this is kind of following like the financial independence retire early rules. So if you have a million dollars that earns on average 7% a year, you can withdraw 4% and it will still grow with inflation by 3%. Um, So 4% of a million dollars is 40 grand a year. So if I have a million dollars invested, I either have a 40 grand pay rise or I have like a 40 grand buffer to live off and my because I'm like such an indecisive person and I'm super spontaneous I want the freedom to do literally whatever I want in my life so having a 40 grand safety net as income is insane like you can live in Bali for that much and a 40 grand pay rise is huge as well (laughs) Um, yeah but like I love working I really like like having a job and I love going to work but I kind of want work to always be something that adds value and something that I love doing so I want that freedom to quit jobs or move or do whatever I feel like at the time Yeah, I think that's such a great point. And, you know, framing investing as a way to empower yourself to be able to do what you want to do in the future. So if and I've talked about before how, you know, sometimes for some people just building wealth or, yeah, getting more money isn't sort of enough of a motivator. But if you really flip that and think about, but what will I be able to do with that money when I have it? So whether it be for yourself or whether it be for causes that you really care about. I was chatting to a friend the other day and she actually works in the arts And she was explaining that for her, you know, over her entire career, she's probably in her industry or in her position, not going to be able to earn sort of over about 80K. So for her, being able to invest sort of small amounts of salary each month meant that she was able to sort of form this secondary income that allowed her to, you know, stay in the industry she wants. And, you know, we as females, we have a lot to think about with, you know, potentially taking time off work in the future in our 30s if we want to go down to part-time. And I think she was saying that for her, investing sort of gives her the confidence that she'll be able to continue to do what she loves. Because yeah, by doing that, I guess money is less likely to become a real issue for her. I agree with that so much. That's why I was kind of talking about the pay rise thing because OTs OTs are great, but you don't earn a high salary with that. And I really love working in healthcare, but I also want to have lots of money. Like that's a fun goal. And a lot of people are like, oh, you can't say you want to earn lots of money. But like, I love having money. So kind of having that extra pay rise. You can say whatever you want. (laughs) Yeah, I say whatever I want now. Some people are so funny though when you talk about it and they're like, oh no, you can't say that. But yeah, so it's so cool being able to give you, like you can buy yourself a pay rise, which is such a cool concept to get your head around. Hey, thanks for joining us on You're in Good Company. We hope you're enjoying the chat with Tash so far. We're just going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
So delving in a little bit into your investing at the minute, do you have a specific investment strategy that you follow? Yeah. So I buy and hold ETFs and a lot of them are just like passive index tracking ETFs. So for people that are listening and don't know what a passive index tracking ETF is, do you want to explain it a little bit? Yeah. So an ETF is an exchange traded fund, which is just a way of buying a basket of shares that's traded on the stock exchange. So like types of ETFs, an index, going back even further, an index fund is something like the S&P 500, which is the top 500 companies in America or the largest 500. And there's one called the ASX 200, which is the largest it's like 200 Australian companies. Um, so you can buy an index fund as an ETF. So an ETF will track one of those indexes or follow it. Um, and you can buy and sell it through a brokerage and it trades on the on the share platform. And why have you picked or why have you chosen to invest sort of mainly in ETFs? And have you looked into buying other stocks or are you pretty keen to stick with ETFs? There was a really fun statistic I read where over, I think it was a 15 to 20 year period, only like 92% of fund managers failed to beat the S&P 500. And I am an OT student who works in like healthcare. Like who am I to think I could be better than a fund manager at picking stocks? Uh, Like I'm literally just like a normal person and I don't want to spend the day, like the effort researching stocks every single day as well. So ETS, you literally pick one, you buy them regularly consistently, which is like a strategy called dollar cost averaging. And you don't check it for seven to 10 years and you just let it do its thing, which is amazing because I'm not going to sit here and like look at charts because I think that's the most boring thing in the world. So it's like an easy, simple strategy. And like historically, the data show and it's proven to work. Yeah, I feel like you've literally just made it sound so easy. And honestly, that's what it it's can so be. It's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> it like, it like, it like everyone makes it so hard and everyone's like showing you TikToks of their trading and like their profit loss and them sitting there analyzing stocks and all these words that like literally don't matter. Like you can literally just buy and hold index funds. And in 15 to 20 years, you can have a million dollars. you make it sound so easy (laughs) this conversation is just making me so happy I just love it I'm like yes it is that easy just everyone needs to do it you don't have to be a finance bro you can buy index funds well I guess then we've kind of touched on it a little bit we've spoken about your goal and I guess maybe your steps are just buy and hold forever almost yeah (laughs) literally live off the dividends maybe yeah but but if we like kind of talk about your daily routine like you know how often are you investing uh is this an automated process how often are you looking at buying new etfs are you ever changing up your portfolio a little bit yeah, so I buy like a thousand dollars worth of whatever I'm buying at the moment every fortnight. I have a like I've got a few that I buy regularly. If I've seen something cool on Instagram, like a niche ETF or something, maybe I'll put like five hundred dollars into that. But usually I just buy like index ETFs on repeat. It is automated. I've just turned it off now because I'm about to go back to uni, so I'll have to invest less. But yeah, like literally like once a fortnight, buy a thousand dollars worth, that's it, sorted. And then if I like get paid extra money or I like make a bit of side income, I'll invest that into something fun, maybe. Yeah, I think that sounds great. And I think, you know, building, investing into your routine can be a really great way to, you know, continue sort of building your wealth and, um, yeah, not having to think about it too much, which is oh, awesome. Yeah, I also do $100 a week into spaceship, but, like, literally I forget that exists half the time because I don't notice the $100 yeah. <laughs> versus, like, the 1000 But that's in, like, their tech portfolio, which is done insanely well. So, yeah, it's, like, the $100 a week in spaceship plus the $1,000 a fortnight. Yeah. I hope everyone is feeling very inspired because I know I definitely am. I'm, like... Gosh, yeah, you just make it sound so easy, which is is great. It is easy, yeah. It is, yeah, Yeah, it absolutely is. And that's really what Sophie and I are trying to sort of help people to understand. Mm. People make it so much more complicated than it has to be. But complicated sells. (laughs) 
That's true, actually, <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> okay, so we might jump into the end part of our episode, which is called the watch list. So each episode, we've been asking our guests to add a stock or company or news trend or anything that you've been following recently to the watch list. And then over the series, we're just going to watch it and see how it develops, I guess. The purpose is, of this is to get us thinking outside the box and broaden our horizons in the investing space. But we're not financial advisors, and this is purely for educational purposes only, and it does not constitute any investment advice. So, Tash, what are you adding to the watch list today? Can I be really boring and put like VDHG in there and we can see how it tracks against <laughs> everything else? Absolutely. You can do whatever cool. you want. <laughs> I also put an ETF on the watch list. What was your ETF? Mine was A200. Oh, maybe mine's too similar then. Maybe, oh. I don't know. We could do like NTQ because that's very tech heavy. I don't know. Or Ethi. Let's do ECHI because that's an ethical one. So can you tell us a little bit more about Ethi? What's in it? What makes it ethical? How does it all sort of work? Um, I don't know what their exact like ethical criteria is, but I was just like doing basic research into ethical ETFs and there's two by beta shares. Like Ethi is an international one. It's got 200 like ethical companies can't define ethical for you and then there's another one called fair which is like the australian ethical version um there's a few others i've been looking into as well but i want to like in my daily life like ethical things kind of align to who i am as a person like i love the ocean i try not to use plastic i try not to eat meat but then i was buying like stocks that owned bhp and different companies and it was like why am i doing that so i've kind of like I'm stepping it back a bit now and I'm going to redo my whole portfolio just for ethical ones. Another really cool one is I, I think it's IMPQ, which is an actively managed ETF that invests in small to mid caps in Australia. But they've got a really cool, um, like one of their criteria is every company has to have at least one female board member. And that seems like such a basic ah. thing to have. But yeah, that's how they filter out some companies as well. So I think they're pretty cool too. I think that ties back perfectly to the fact that investing can actually, and the goals you make around investing can tie back to, you know, your values and what you value in life. It doesn't need to be um, particular companies, but it can really align to, I guess, the vision that you want to create for your future. Yeah, definitely. Tash, thank you so much for coming on our show today. I think it's so great when people are starting out investing to sort of really try and have a think about and have an idea about what they're working towards. Um, And it can be really motivating for yourself and sort of, yeah, it's really awesome to be able to work towards setting yourself up for, I guess, future freedom. That being said, I do guess I just want to emphasize that if anyone is sort of sitting at home and thinking that I don't know what I want to do or I don't know what I want to work towards, definitely do not be put off by people having sort of very specific money goals if you don't have them. Because, you know, I think really having a broad goal, like we sort of touched on today of just building wealth and things like that, you know, the important thing is, is that we get started and we start figuring it out. And I think that really that is good enough because we can work the rest out as we go along. Um, to add to that, like I like, yes, just like work towards something and just start. Cause I change my mind all the time about everything. But I think as soon as you have a foundation, you can literally do whatever you want with that money. So set a goal. And if you change your mind, that's completely fine. So Tash, we always finish off with the same question for each guest. And that question is what advice would you give yourself when you first started out investing? Probably just start investing consistently straight away because I was terrified. Like I kind of bought the first shares and I was like, oh, I'll just watch them for a few years and see what happens. But yeah, just start, just like research more, just just like invest more, I guess. And maybe like don't buy an apartment, but yeah, that's controversial as well. <laughs> hey, that's still, that's still an investment. You're still doing great there. <laughs> Better than the yeah. rest of us. <laughs> 
Well, Tash, thank you so much for coming on to our show today, our fourth ever episode, which is very exciting. If people want to learn more about you or sort of follow your journey, can you give us a little rundown of where they can find you? Yes. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I am called Tash Invest on Instagram and I also make TikToks as well, which is sometimes fun. And I have a website, which I'm hoping to start blogging on soon. (laughs) It's just me talking about money, but I try to make them fun. Um, But yeah, my website's just tashinvest.com. So come say hi there as well. Well, we absolutely love what you're doing to normalize conversations about money and investing. And we really look forward to sort of continuing to follow your journey because we think that, yeah, you're sort of inspiring people everywhere to get motivated and work towards financial freedom, which is a very common value with our own. So we love what you're doing and keep it up. And yeah, hopefully we can continue following your journey as well. Yeah. Thanks so much. I'm super excited to see where this podcast goes as well. It's such a fun idea. Thanks, Tash. Thank you so much for joining us today for our chat with Tash. We hope you're ready to start setting some of your own goals that will help you work towards financial empowerment. Next week, we'll be debunking the myth that investing is like gambling and working out what the risks are and how to mitigate them. If you haven't already, please follow our Instagram page at YIGC Podcast and join our Facebook group, YIGC Investing Podcast Discussion Group, where you can ask any of the questions that are on your mind or share ideas that you find interesting. Until next time. You're in good company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of You're In Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the EquityMates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, EquityMates Media and the hosts of Your In Good Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 